and welcome. It's David, co-founder of Ag Economic Insights, joining you this week for the weekly recording that Brent and I try to put together. And the goal of this every week is to provide a quick summary and a quick peek behind the curtain of the articles and content that we have written on a regular basis. And so this, of course, is available in a podcast form. It's available as a YouTube video, and there's also a transcript available. So the goal here is to help you stay up to date, uh, provide a little bit of, again, insights as to what we're thinking as we're putting together the latest content or the latest questions. And of course, to support the subscribers and the, the viewers of the AEI Premium and the Forecast Tool. So to kick this week off, I wanted to share just a few ideas of some things that we've been recently writing about. And the first one is around real or inflation-adjusted farm sector debt. We wrote an article looking at the farm sector assets, debt, and working capital. We think the balance sheet's really important to keep in mind because it's where profits accrue or it's where we dip into when the farm economy is very lean. So we're keeping a close eye on the 2021-2022 estimates and projections for the balance sheet. And it's going to give us an idea of how well healed up the farm economy is getting in light of the favorable year in 2020, but the phenomenal year in 2021 or the historically significant year in 2021 and the cautious optimism we have about 2022. So the first piece here that we want to talk about is farm sector debt. A lot of folks have highlighted the idea or the, the data point that total farm debt when you adjust for inflation is pretty close to where it was back in the early 1980s, of course, sometimes that's viewed as an ominous sign or an omen or a leading indicator of bad times in the farm sector. First thing I want to point out is uh, this chart does a really good job of highlighting how the debt in the farm economy is very different than where it was 40 some years ago. So in blue is real estate or debt that's on farm land and farm uh, real estate. As you can see, that is above $300 billion. For context, the inflation-adjusted previous high was, again, in the early 1980s at some $250 billion in 2022 dollars. So we're considerably higher. So while the total is even, we've reshifted the, the balance here, more on the farm real estate, considerably less on the non-real estate side. And you know we're somewhere around $150 billion today compared to about $225 billion at the peak. So again, both total debt is higher. Real estate debt is above the previous high. Non-real estate is below. And as you can see in the late 80s, early 90s, it was almost an even split between real estate and non-real estate. Today, uh, it's a very different composition, probably two-thirds real estate, one-third non-real estate. So we just keep that in mind as we use these total debt heuristics. And then we think about that. Uh, another chart from this article I want to point out is inflation adjusted farm assets are considerably higher than where they were in the early 1980s or even in the mid 1980s, when of course the farm economy had a big adjustment. This is where the debt to asset ratio really got in trouble because debts did not adjust uh, nearly as fast as the asset values turned lower. So again, you can never really summarize a situation like the farm economy or the farm balance sheet in just a graph or two. Here are two graphs to keep in mind. The second issue we talked about today, this week, are in hydrous ammonia prices. A lot of concern around fertilizer prices. Fertilizer has been kind of a, a pain in a lot of producers' side uh, the last six months. And the war in Ukraine has us all thinking about where does this go 
especially with thinking about fertilizer exports from Russia and also energy prices and energy exports from Russia. So we've raised two new questions in the forecast network. The first one was the probability of anhydrous ammonia prices based on the USDA's Illinois survey exceeding $2,000 a ton by the 1st of January, 2023. What's the probability of it getting below $1,000 per ton by the 1st of January, 2023? Now, keep in mind the starting point today is 1500. So this is a huge window, a huge swing that we're monitoring. I think that's very important to keep in mind is if the worst case scenario with respect to higher prices plays out, that would be a very big aggressive move. On the other hand, if things start to moderate, and we'll talk about this in just a second, maybe $1,000 or less is more reasonable. So this is a long question. These both are long questions. There's two questions and one of, and they're both pretty extreme outcomes. One of the background pieces that we talked about in the article is a model that we have used in the past. It uses crude oil prices and corn prices to predict anhydrous ammonia prices. And, you know, keep in mind crude oil is a proxy for the general, you know, cost of energy that's going on in the world. And also corn price is an idea of how much profitability or how much demand is there for producers who are looking to plant corn and using fertilizer to push yields. One thing that has happened in the last six months is this model has, for all intents and purposes, broke. The model is saying we should have the historic relationships between these variables would suggest that fertilizer prices would be somewhere in the eight to $900 per ton area. Of course, now we're at $1,500 a ton. Well, why is this happening? Well, we outlined a few ideas in the article and that there are a lot of things that this model doesn't capture, such as the supply chain logistic challenges that are going on in the economy. There are the domestic production of fertilizer issues that we had at the beginning of 2021. There are trade issues related to imports of alternative uh, nitrogen sources. And so there's a lot going on. And so when these models don't reflect reality like we'd expect them, I guess one idea is, well, is the model completely broken? But two, gives us an idea of how maybe challenging some of these other factors. So I guess another way of putting this is how influential these non-oil price, these non-corn price in factors are influencing this price. So looking ahead, it's hard to say where this model, if prices will converge and this model will start to track like it has in the past. You can see in the past, it has gotten off uh, and has been uh, inaccurate. So in 2015, the model was off by you know almost $150 a ton. It's well off by more than $600 a ton now, but it, it might start to track back as it moves forward. Now, looking ahead, there's two things that are worth pointing out. First off, is today's crude oil prices in this model are higher than what we've seen in, in the recent past. It's about $90 a ton compared to 70 just in the fall. Excuse me, $90 per barrel compared to $70 per barrel back in the fall. That $90 per barrel price is going to be, according to the model, impacting fertilizer prices next fall. So it's, there's a nine-month lag in this variable. So when you use today's energy prices and you assume corn prices stay the same, uh, you can see where anhydrous prices have some upward movement to them in the model. Now, it's still well below where current prices are. So when you think about the future, you kind of have to scratch your head and say, okay, will these forces sort of come back into play? Will the model start to be a better representation of how all these factors are interacting? Or will 
issues such as supply chain, inflation, high energy prices, the Ukraine war and the sanctions and the exports of fertilizer, will those continue to create a disconnect between that relationship between energy, corn, and fertilizer prices that we've observed in the past and where the influence is going forward. So I encourage you to check the article out, but to also update your forecast or make a forecast and keep an eye on this. Again, $500 a ton, higher or lower fertilizer prices for context was about $500. Those were about $500 a ton prices just 18 months ago. And so now the range 500 up, 500 down is considerably wider than the absolute price just a while ago. But I think this captures the magnitude of uncertainty that producers are facing, but also the challenges that the market is dealing with. So we'll keep an eye on that. That'll be a question that we'll have lots of updates for you throughout 2022. The last point I want to discuss today is the Fed funds target rate got raised last week. We had the forecast network question resolved. In light of that, I want to remind listeners and readers that sometimes good forecasts, I guess if everything goes well, good forecasts have good scores and bad forecasts have bad scores. But sometimes good forecasts have low scores and sometimes bad forecasts have high scores. How does this happen? Well, keep in mind the percentile rank is a relative measure. So it's equivalent of saying you got first place, second place, third place. So if you're at the 100th percentile, you had the absolute best forecast. If you're in the 50th percentile, you're in the midpoint. And if you're in the 22nd percentile, it means 88% of the other the contest participants did better than you did. And so now how much better you are than somebody else doesn't matter. It just means that you're out there. So it's kind of like the Olympics. And if you set a world record, you could, if you broke the world record, you could still get second place because if some other competitor actually even went faster than you and you both broke the previous record, but they set the new record, um, you could still get second place. So it's not just setting the record. It's also, or just having a good forecast. It's having the best forecast. So let's talk about how this plays out with that Fed funds question. One of the things that came out of this always learning is that in general, the consensus was that the Fed raising interest rates in the first six months of 2022 was a high probability event. The AFN consensus was near or above 70% probability of this happening throughout the question life. When we got into February, it increased to 80%. And of course, as we got really close to that Fed meeting here in March, it got above the 90% probability. Now keep in mind, 90% for an average is very, very high. A lot of forecasts but it had to have been well above 90%. Some of you are still below 90%. So it's a very strong forecast. Another way we can look at this is the distribution of forecasts. And we did this for the 1st of March. And I want to show this because it's it's very insightful. What we can see, uh, if you're watching the video, you, what you can see, and I will illustrate this, if you're not watching, is about all the forecasts at the beginning of March ranged from 70% chance of occurring to 95% chance of occurring. Uh, about 50% of question, forecasts were below 78% and about 50% were above 78% chance of happening. So there was a very tight distribution of individual forecasts. So the consensus at this point was getting close to 80%, but all those forecasts were really tightly packed right around 70 and right around between 70 and 
95% for probability of occurring. So what's going to happen here is if you're like me and I'm going to click over and I'll show you my score here, what you can see is going to happen is you can have a really strong forecast. And of course, uh, I got to go read my note and remind myself, what was I thinking in January 24th? Why did I drop my forecast so much? Kind of a always learning lesson opportunity for me personally. But in general, my score is in the 22nd percentile rank. I didn't have a great score. But in general, my forecast is pretty strong. I, on average, had a forecast that was, I think, close to 70 or 75% throughout the question's short life. So I had the right idea, but my low score. So I think this is a good forecast, but my score is low because I didn't have a very good forecast relative to my peers, relative to everybody else in this forecast network. Uh, and so even though I had a lot of course adjustments and I recalibrated my expectations, I, I didn't overcome the, the gravity there of my low early forecasts and, um, and a lot of high probability forecasts that turn out to be right from the consensus. So again, always learning, always opportunities to improve. Encourage you to Again, check out the website, update your expectations, update your forecast, check out the latest questions. Also have an interesting article about moving the chains. We call moving the chains because we have to get the football team gets a first down. You have to kind of re-stake the, the field and you got to figure out what it does it take now to get that next first down. And so we had to move the questions for corn and soybean futures price and the probability of getting above or below a threshold. Of course, commodity prices have moved a lot in the first three months, the first quarter of 2022, and we had to recalibrate that for where prices might go for the next rest of the year. So, of course, lastly, I just want to remind everybody that we have the exciting 16 question, $1,600 challenge for the Ag Forecast Network is the 2022 Yield Forecast Challenge. Encouraging, if you're listening to this, you're probably already a member of AEI Premium, and so you're eligible to participate in that. Encourage you to do some reading on the website to learn more about this. We're going to be talking about this, promoting this, but it's going to be 16 questions specifically devoted to the USDA yield forecast estimates between May and November 2022 for corn and soybeans. We're going to have two questions that are the long burn. They're going to be open between April 15th and the November WASD. So the probability of above trend yields for those two crops, you're going to be able to update your expectations as the growing season unfolds. And then the other 14 questions will be based on the next WASI report. So after the May WASI report, we'll close the May-related questions and we'll open two new June questions and ask you what's the probability of those yield estimates in June being above what was estimated the previous month. And so we're going to have two questions that are uh, around for the whole time and two new questions every month. Again. Uh, look for a leaderboard to be coming out for that. Look for a lot of content. Of course, Jeff will be updating his yield expectations, his yield forecast based off crop condition reports, those weekly reports. And so a little prize, a little competition to really focus in on this particular issue, but everything else will continue as usual within the AEI premium platform and the Ag Forecast Network tool. And looking forward to all your forecasts, all your questions, and all your ideas as those unfold. So that's all I have for you this week. Encourage you all to stay curious. Oh, one last programming note. I forgot here. I had it written down. Next week on the last day of March is the perspective planting report. Uh, I'm going to turn on this real quick. Let's go look at the consensus rule quick. Remind you to update your forecast. I noticed the other day, uh, these are closing soon. I noticed the other day that the consensus for corn has been moving higher. 
And I guess it, it, it's moved higher. It's a couple of you update your forecast here recently, it's, but it's a probability of above 93 million acres of corn. It's come in somewhere around 55%. And then of course, the probability of more than 97 million, acre, 87 million acres of soybeans, excuse me, that has been consistently high, maybe ticked a little bit higher in recent weeks, but it's close to 70% probability. And finally, probability of more than 180 million acres of soybeans. That question, the consensus is hanging in around 60% probability. So those will get resolved next week. Update your forecast, your last chance to get a forecast revision in here in the next few days. And we'll get those scores and we'll have a lot to talk about next week when that report comes out and resolves one piece of the acreage debate question as we head towards the spring planting. So again, I'll wrap up for good this time. Thanks so much for joining. I encourage you to visit the website, watch out for our next newsletter that comes out on Friday. But in the meantime, as always, stay curious.